0: If y'all would open your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. I'll actually be preaching on about that stained glass window up there in the corner. I was looking at the building with new eyes since we now own it. and, uh, And the imagery that they have here and they're of the vine cluster. As we look how Jesus is... Uh, is the vine. John 15, we'll begin reading in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. In me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Our Father, we ask through your spirit you would open up our hearts and our minds to receive what you would have for us. Lord, we all come in here from different places this week carrying different baggage and we don't try to hide that from you, but we want to bring that to you. Lay it at your feet and say, this is, this is me. Do with me as you will. Lord, we desperately want to hear from you, from your word this morning. I pray that my words, or this evening, I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain and may they change us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. There are a lot, a lot of things that you could say about this passage. It's jam-packed, full of theology, and so I can't address everything. So what I want to do is simply walk through the three images that Jesus brings up here. We have a vine, we have branches, and we have a vine dresser. And I just want us to walk through each one of these three images, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, this is the last of the seven I ams in this gospel. So far, Jesus, he has said, I am the bread of life. I'm the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection um, and the life. I am the light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. And now he says, I am the true vine. He's not just any vine. He's the true one. Now, when we read a statement like this, it doesn't really mean much to us modern readers, but but to his disciples, they would have instantly understood what he was talking about, and this would have been an astonishing claim for them. You see, the vineyard was, was one of the most common metaphors that we have in the Old Testament of Israel. Over and over again, as you read through the Old Testament, you will see God describing Israel as the vine that he has planted. And so you're going to come across passages like Psalm 80, which says, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. In Isaiah 27, the Lord says this, "'A pleasant vineyard, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it. In days to come, Jacob shall take root, Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots.'" and fill the whole world with fruit. This vine imagery was such a common metaphor for Israel that when they built the temple, they had an engraved vine that wrapped around it, and the clusters of this vine were made of sparkling jewels. All the people who had heard Jesus say that would have instantly known what he was talking about. Israel was planted to be a vine. To be a vine that wasn't just for Palestine, but it was to cover the entire world, bringing life, bringing fruit to the whole world. This was Israel's design purpose. It's why God made a covenant with Abraham. And he said that, the whole, that the whole, all the nations, the whole world will be blessed through you. This is why God brought the Israelites out of Egypt so that they would bring life to all of the world. The one problem, just a a tiny problem that you have with this imagery as you go through the Old Testament, is that every reference, though, to the vine and Israel being the vine, every reference turns out to be negative. Every single time, the vine is degenerative. It withers and it dies. Most of the vine references that we have end with God having to come in and to judge Israel because of its sin. So Israel could, could never fulfill what, what Isaiah had prophesied about when he dreamed that the whole world, that the whole world will be covered with this, blo- with this uh, vine. He says, "Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit." I was never realized. But then comes Jesus. He comes in and he, he steps right into this narrative of the vine and he says, I am the true vine. I'm not like those, those pretender vines, those false vines. I'm, I'm the real vine that all the Old Testament has been talking about. And he steps right into this Old Testament narrative, just like he's been doing over and over again, all throughout the gospel of John, in which he would say things like the stairway to heaven. Well, that's me. Jacob's dream was about me. The rock that Moses struck and water came out. Well, that is about me. The true manna coming down from heaven. That's about me. Over and over again, Jesus, he would take these Old Testament narratives and he would step right into them and he would say, you want to know what they are really about? They all find their fulfillment in me. And now he steps into this metaphor of the vine. He says, this has been all about me all along. I'm the true representative of Israel. But where Israel failed, I will not. I will bless the entire world. I will bring life and I will bring fruit to everyone. This is what Jesus is saying here, is that he is going to step into our failure and he's going to do the task for us. So this is what Jesus means when he says that he is the true vine. He is now going to be the one who brings life and who brings fruit to the whole world and do what Israel can never do. So what about these branches Jesus is the vine, but then he goes on to say that we are the branches. And this is defining our relationship with the Lord. It's a very intimate relationship, a a connected relationship. It's... It goes against a lot of our common imagery that we might have for our relationship with God. God is not the boss, and we are his employee. He's not the leader, and we are the follower. He's he's not just a master and us a mere servant. No, this vine imagery with Jesus being the vine and we are the branches means that we are intimately, intimately acquainted with him, connected to him. We're those little shoots that come off the stem And all of our life, all of our hopes, all of our dreams, everything we hope to be, it comes from our connection to Jesus. And this is what it means when you read throughout the Bible and you find that phrase, in Christ, over and over and over, that we are found to be in Christ. That's what is being talked about here. We are in Christ. We are connected to the vine. The life that Jesus has, he gives to us. Everything that he is becomes ours, and it flows to us. And our job is to just suck that in and to suck that in in order that we might be transformed and that we might have life. Verse 5 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I'll be honest. At first, when, you, when I read this, I'm just like, well, that's just not true. <laughs> apart from Apart from you, we could do nothing. I mean, we could do a lot of things apart from Christ. You could get married, you could have children, you could get a somewhat rewarding job, you can go on vacations, you, you can have uh, some relative joy. You, you can do a you could do a quite a number of things apart from Christ. But what Jesus is saying here is no, that's just spinning your wheels. You're not actually doing anything. Nothing of substance. You cannot do anything of substance apart from me. You cannot do what you were designed to do apart from me. Because this is what you were designed to do. You were designed to bear fruit. Seven times in this chapter alone, Jesus is going to say that our purpose is to bear fruit. That's why we were made. So whatever you are contemplating as the purpose of your life, as you're thinking of the the who you're supposed to be with, the where you're supposed to, to go, or or when you're supposed to do these things. As you're thinking through the big purpose of your life, know that the overriding purpose is this, that you are to bear fruit. Wherever you are, whoever you are with, whatever you are doing, your purpose, your overriding purpose, is that you should bear fruit. And the fruit that we are to bear, we read about in Galatians. It's... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Any of y'all learned that song growing up? You know, I've got fruit. I won't do the motions for you. I I spent 20-something years trying to get it out of my head, and then you have kids, and it all comes back. But love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control this is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, we are modern, go get them Americans. So, we like to focus on what we can do, what we can accomplish, not who we are or who we are becoming. That's why, you know, if you're meeting people at a party, you always ask, What do you do? You never ask who you are, because if you just ask, Who are you? People are just going to, they don't know how to answer that. We define ourselves by what we're doing, not who we are or what we hope to become. But this is an identity issue here. This is a character issue here. Are you becoming a more loving person, a more joyful person? Are you becoming a person who is filled with patience and kindness? What Jesus is describing here is character Character change, character transformation, life is coming into the areas that you were dead, and it's bringing in this life and this new fruit. And it's not just so you become an easier person to live with. That's that's a byproduct of character transformation, is that you become an easier person to live with. The reason that we are to bear fruit is it's all for the glory of the Father. Because if we are loving, it reflects the Father's love. If we are kind, it reflects the Father's kindness. If we are patient, it reflects the Father's patience. And so when we bear this fruit, we become better image bearers of the Father, reflecting his glory. That's why we are to bear fruit, not just to make us better people, but so we will reflect the glory of God. And so that when the people rub up against us, your neighbors or your coworkers, and they taste you, They're tasting of the fruit of God, and they're seeing his character. So whatever you think your purpose is, know that your overriding purpose is to bear fruit. As Christians, don't expect it to be instant. Bearing fruit takes time. But you need to always be progressing in this area. If you're attached to Jesus, you're going to be sucking in his life, and the inevitable outcome is bearing fruit. You cannot be a Christian and not bear fruit. This is a fruit that cannot be counterfeited. Notice in Galatians, it's there in your worship guide. Notice in Galatians when Paul is describing the fruit of the Spirit. He says, fruit not fruits. He says fruit singular. There is only one fruit, and that fruit of being in Christ is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That one fruit is all of those things. It's not just joy, it's not just patience, it's not just gentleness, it is all of these things. Now, apart from Christ you might be able to fake one or two of those things, but you can't fake them all. And if you are a Christian and you are only growing in one or two of those things and not growing in all, what Jesus is saying is you need to ask yourself, are you really abiding in me? Because if you're abiding in me, you get the fruit of of all of this. All of these qualities begin to come into your life. You can't just always be hanging your hat on that one thing, Well, I have the joy. And you're always saying, well, I've got joy. I've got joy. Therefore, I'm a Christian. So what if I'm not good at self-control? If the fruit of the Spirit is growing in you, all of these areas will begin growing and developing in you. Some more than others, but you will always be progressing. This is the fruit of the Christian life. And Jesus says here that the key to bearing this fruit is to Abide in him. Look at verse five. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. To abide simply means to make your home with. To make your home with. This verse is actually very similar to Revelation 3.20 in which Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him and he with me. It's a very similar verse that Jesus is there. He's knocking on the door. He's saying, can I come into your home? And can we be together? When he says he wants to abide with us, he's, he's simply saying this, I really would like for us to live together. Can we do that? Can we live together? That's the intimacy that Jesus is after. I don't have time to to really land here, but I do want to just at least state this. One of the reasons or one of the ways we abide in Christ is by abiding in his word. Look at verse seven. If you abide in me, in my words, abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That life-giving sap flowing from the vine is the word of God, and we are to always be sucking in that word, and sometimes that word, you might be convinced, is going to lead to your destruction or to your death. You have no idea how that word can help you, but it's for your joy, and it's for your life, and you need to suck it in. That's how we abide in Christ. All right, so we've looked at the vine. We've looked at the branches. Now let's look at this vine dresser. Look at verses one and two. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Not every branch that is connected to the vine is alive. There's actually a really scary verse here when you you read it and think about it. Because Jesus is saying that there are people out there who look like Christians. They look connected. Perhaps they go to church or perhaps they read the Bible. They hang around with Christian friends. They look very connected, but they actually have no life. They're not bearing any fruit. And once again, let me be as clear as I possibly can be about this. You cannot be a Christian and not bear fruit. It is the inevitable outcome of abiding with Jesus. Jesus warns us that we can look Christian, but we can actually be dead inside. And if we are dead inside, he is going to cut us off. And then, then in the most graphic terms, he said, you will be cut off and you will be thrown into the fire because there really is no other purpose for a dead vine than to be thrown into the fire. It's worthless. But the shears, the loppers, if you will, that that the vine dresser is using is not just reserved for dead branches. It is also reserved for the green ones. Live branches are also going to get cut. Jesus says that every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Now, can I just say that I really, really wish that this verse said something different here? I would love for it to have said something different, maybe something like this, if I was writing the Bible. Every branch that does bear fruit, the Lord blesses. Wouldn't you like that? I mean, that would would be, you know, a really good version there. Every branch that does bear fruit, the Lord blesses. He rewards But it's not what Jesus says. The vine dresser is always cutting. He's always cutting. If it's dead, he cuts you off and he throws you into the fire. But if you are alive, he's going to cut you as well. But this time, so you might bear more fruit. I know very little about pruning. Um, Springtime, I like to just hack away at our rose bushes do a decent enough job, you just kind of cut away two-thirds of them, and they, they bloom each spring. I, I know hardly anything about pruning grapevines. Thankfully, there is Google, and so I was able to read a whole lot about it. Uh, I'm, I'm not an expert, but according to the many Google uh, articles that are out there, um, I can at least give you a general knowledge about what the vine dresser does and how the vine dresser prunes grapes, and it was fairly interesting because I didn't know that pruning was that important, but over and over, these vine dressers, as they're talking about pruning, they would say, it is the most important thing that they do. And the reason it's the most important thing they do is because they cannot control any of the other things. That said, we cannot control how much rain our vines get. We cannot control the soil that they are in and all the different ingredients that they, will, that they will suck in and that you will then taste in the flavor of the wine. We can't control that. We cannot control how much sunshine these grapes are going to get. But the one thing we can control is the pruning. And so we have to put great thought, and we have to carefully cut away to maximize the potential of each one of these vines. What does pruning look like? Well, for those of us who have never seen a vineyard being pruned, I think we would all be shocked by it. Because it would look like butchery. The the vine dresser is going to get his, his shears, he's going to go and he's going to just start cutting away at what looks to be a perfectly healthy vine. And he's going to cut away green branches and they're going to fall down and you're going to see them oozing out sap he's even going to cut away some of the smaller clusters of fruit and they'll come falling down as well and he's just going to keep cutting and cutting and when he's finished the vine is going to look completely ruined you're you're going to see all that sap oozing all of these green branches even some of the fruit and it's going to look like a butcher came in and just destroyed it that's what it would look like to me and it would probably look like to you but but to a trained eye. That's not at all what it looks like. The train I will notice that not a single branch was cut off that wasn't actually a gain to lose and would have been a loss if it had been kept. The vine dresser did not cut at random, but with great care, looking over meticulously over all of the branches cutting off only the areas where he saw this was a waste of energy. This was a waste of resources. Cutting away maybe some of the limbs that were growing inward instead of towards the light. And if it was not bearing much fruit or only just a little bit of fruit, it was cut off as to not waste the resources of the ground. This is what God does with us for those who are abiding in his Son. He prunes us. And can I just say pruning hurts. Dead branches don't feel the knife, but the live ones do. And Jesus is saying that he is going to bring pain into our lives in order for us to bear even more fruit. And and for the untrained eye, it's gonna look like God is just hurting us for no reason and that all of the pain that's coming into our life is completely random. But that is not the case. God, our Father, is only cutting the things off that would have been a loss for us to keep. And he will cut off the places in our lives where we are wasting energy, where we are being unproductive. He's even going to cut off some of the areas where we are bearing a little bit of fruit, but only so that we might bear more fruit. It's going to hurt. But God's going to do this in order that we might have more fruit, that we might have more joy. Let me just say, if, and if we didn't know better, if we didn't know that this was God's plan and what he, he was doing, we would be convinced he was punishing us, not pruning us. We would be convinced of that. If, if you're a parent, you already understand this. Because your kids, let's say, they, you know, they would just love to eat junk food all the time. They would love to just watch TV all of the time. And, and so perhaps they're watching TV and you just come in and you just turn it off and say, get outside, all right? The sun is shining, I want you outside. Your child looks at you and says, why do you hate me? Why do you hate me? Or they might say, what, what, what did I do wrong? Thinking you're punishing them. You're not punishing, you're pruning. You're cutting away what is a waste of their resources. You don't want their brain to turn to mush. They're like, get outside, be productive, bear fruit. It's pruning, not punishment. But from the child's perspective, it's punishment. But from the parent's perspective, it's pruning. Let me ask you, how many of you, when when I was reading through uh, the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians, so I was going through that list. You thought I crushed that this week. I mean, I just, I just nailed it. I crushed it. I'm, you know, I'm going through them like, you know, the fruits of the spirit is love. You're like check, joy check, peace check, check. After last week's sermon, got that nailed down. Patience, like you're like, man, I just, I crushed that this week. How many of you? Any of you? No, we're we're all like Israel. We've all failed at this. We have failed to be divine and we have failed to, to bear the fruit that God has called us to bear. And so what the father does is he now comes in and he prunes. He prunes it so that we might actually bear more fruit. And so he's gonna bring pain into our lives to teach us and to make us a people that reflect his character, to make us a people who have some depth to them. You know, Lauren and I, we have people over to our house all the time for dinner. Probably a lot of you have come over at least once to our house for dinner. Well, I want you to know that when you leave, we talk about you, okay? That's what we do. We just, we, we talk about you. We, uh, sometimes I'll look you up on Facebook afterwards. I, I usually give warning and say you have five, ten minutes. Remove any images. You don't want to, but by the time you get home, I, I might just look up some things on Facebook. Um, but my wife and I were always talking about the people who came over for dinner and, uh, and what they were like, which ones that we want to stay at the church, which ones that we hope leave. No, we, we don't do that. But just trying to remember all of our different conversations. And, and often, we'll be talking about somebody and, and a certain characteristic or certain quality just stood out to both of us. And we'll say something like, "Could you just?" there was just such a gentleness to that person. Do you notice that? It's like, yeah. There's just a gentleness and a kindness. There was, just, there was just joy behind their eyes. And we'll both notice that. And then later, as we get to know this person, what we realize is that usually they have had a terrible season of pain, or they've gone through a terrible tragedy. And that tragedy has softened them. That tragedy has, has made them a person of depth and of character in a way they would have never been before. God pruned them. And without even knowing that, we could just look and at brief encounters, we could see the fruit. The fruit that came with that pruning that I'm sure hurt. This is what the vine dresser does. I love the, the many stories we have of this throughout Scripture. Perhaps one of the most vivid ones is the life of Joseph. And Joseph was on his way to being a sociopath, all right? He, he was. He's was just a youth who, who thought, you know, everything was his, the world was his. He could go up to his brothers and be like, God likes me best. And, just, uh, and he would say it to their face because... He didn't really care about their feelings. He, he was on his way to becoming a sociopath. And so, you know what God did? God loved Joseph. And he said, I want him to bear fruit. And so, God has his robes stripped from him, his fancy clothes ripped off him, has him sold as a slave. It's a massive pruning. And then God begins to restore him and he begins to bear fruit and he rises up and he becomes the head of Potiphar's household. So then God looks at him again and inspects fruit and he's like, I can make this person even more fruitful. And so he prunes him again and Joseph is now arrested and then he is thrown in jail. A massive pruning. And then God begins to raise him again and and bring even more fruit into his life. So much fruit that the entire nation is fed by him. That's how much fruit Joseph bore. But it all came at a cost. He had to go under the knife. But the more God loves, the more he cuts because he is trying to bring out our fruitfulness. You know, even Jesus had to undergo the cutting of the vine dresser. Hebrews 5 which is just a monumental chapter in Hebrews. But in Hebrews 5, you will read that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. It's a remarkable verse. Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus was cut more than any other vine has ever been cut. But oh, the fruit. Oh, the fruit. When you look at the cross, your first instinct is to look at Jesus on the cross and think, that is just a butchering. That is just random violence. That is just evil at its worst, and you would be partly right. It is evil. But to the trained eye who's going to look there, you're also going to see the careful hand of the Father. And when you see this blood flowing down, don't think, what a waste think, oh, what pruning and what fruit will come. A fruit that indeed fulfills the purpose that Israel was supposed to always have, that will bring life and joy to the entire world. This is the truth that we're gonna celebrate as we partake in communion this evening. As we partake in this table, we are gonna celebrate the fact that we are in Christ That as we partake of his body and we partake of his blood, that we are reminding ourselves, just just as those elements are going in us, we are reminding ourselves that we are sucking in all that Christ has for us. That we come here not because of any righteousness of our own, not any goodness of our own, but we are sucking in what belongs to Jesus and everything that he has comes to us and gives us life that we might bear fruit. As we come to this table, we remember that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And we remember that how he was pruned in order that we might go and bear fruit. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for undergoing the knife. Thank you for bleeding on that cross. And we rejoice in the fruit that came from that. All of us here in this room are here because of that. And Father, I I pray for all the people that are here. I don't know what season of life they are in. I don't know if they are coming out of pain or if they are about to go into pain. But no matter what season they are in, may they be reminded that this is a pruning and not a punishment. And that you're making them a person of character and of life. And ultimately, this will be for their good and for their joy, and most importantly, for your glory. Spirit, you're welcome in this place at this time to move in our midst and to lift up high the name of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.